The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel and I'm the host for this podcast. And today's episode is episode number 196. And it's also the first episode in 2021. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, holistic, drug-free, evidence-based, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 866-231-5924. Today we have an interview with a lady named Tina Levine. Following a childhood trauma, Tina Levine became addicted to drugs. She then worked as a social worker in the fields of drug prevention and education. In fact, ever since graduating from college 10 years prior to working as a social worker, she dedicated her life to helping others overcome addiction and get back on their feet. After relocating to Florida, she spent seven years with the Department of Juvenile Justice, working with victims of human trafficking and runaway youth. It was during this time that Levine was inspired to do even more for our younger generation. Florida Recovery Schools of Tampa Bay, Inc. was officially formed in January of 2020. They now have a full board of directors and they plan to start delivering classes in 2021. Let's hear more and talk to Tina Levine. Tina Levine, thank you so much for being on the podcast and being willing to share your story. I know you have exciting news and we'll get to that for sure. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So you have your own, I know we're going to talk about, you know, recovery school and all of that, but you have your own history of addiction. Can you share that with us? How did you get started? How did that happen for you? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised in Ohio and I was born into a family. My father was an alcoholic um, the first four years of my life. And then he found a 12-step recovery program. And so I was exposed at an early age to that people can ask for help and that help was available through support groups and um, different uh, avenues. And so um, with knowing all of that, because it used to take me to meetings and, um, and I also experienced that these people really, really uh, loved me and they cared about me. And so I had this great positive impression of uh, people that were in recovery and uh, that they had a lot of hope and uh, there was a lot of healing to be had, you know, through these meetings. And so um, I, I share that because then when I get into my recovery uh, at such an early age, then people understand, like I had this really great perspective of recovery. And so that's um, why I share that. Well, at seven years old, my uh, friend was kidnapped, raped, and murdered. And I share that because at that point in my life, uh, I made God irrelevant. And I um, just totally dismissed any faith 
that I may have, I may have had at seven years old. And, oh my God. I can so, understand that. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's horrific. And yes. Yeah. As a seven-year-old, you can't go, oh, I guess there was some greater meaning to something that horrible. That's right. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and the whole uh, situation was really bizarre because at that time in the eighties, we were taught about stranger danger, but it wasn't a stranger. It was a family friend. And so that made it even more creepy and, and traumatic. Um, and then he admitted to the police that he had murdered her and took the police to her body. So, um, and, and back then they didn't have grief, grief counseling. They didn't have people to say, uh, you know, it wasn't your fault. Um, so I packed my bags and I was on a survivor guilt trip for years. Uh, I had survivor guilt and I had struggled with um, just a lot of guilt and a lot of shame at such a young age. And then at nine years old, I started picking up cigarette butts and I started smoking them. And then at 14, I started to drink. Well, then um, through my teenage years, I had endured a lot of abuse myself. I was raped numerous times. I had domestic violence issues. And so I had a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse that had happened at all before the age of 18. Um, so the alcohol and then the drug use uh, by the age of 19, it, it continued daily. And the reason being is because I was trying to numb myself. Heck yeah. What, yeah. what drugs, Tina? What drug were you, were you, or drugs were you doing at that point? So at nine years old, you know, nicotine at 14 right. alcohol, and then um, by 19 marijuana. Um, okay. But I share that, um, you know, I truly believe you know, all drugs are a gateway drug. And, and I'll share why I, I believe that. Um, because when you're under the influence, and you're in a circle of people, and they're passing a pipe, and they're smoking it, you don't know what's in that pipe. And there's been numerous times where the pipe gets passed to me back in, you know, my college days, and I didn't know what was in it, but I right. smoked it. And right. so I, that's why I always share, like with young people, I mean, every drug is a gateway drug, because if you're under the influence, you don't know exactly what you're smoking. And yep. so, um, in, so I was in college at the University of Akron in Ohio, and I had failed nine courses uh, because I didn't go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if I did go, I was drunk or high. And so the university kicked me out. And I remember thinking in my head, because everyone that struggles with addictions, they have a line in their head. If I cross that line, I'm out of control, you know? And so I have this line in my head that if my addictions ever ruined relationships, and then I would need to quit. Um, if my addictions ever you know, ruined my plans of college, I would have to quit, you know? So I had this line um, in, in my head and I had crossed that line. Uh, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna quit the drugs, but I will continue to drink because that's okay. Because <laughs> at that time I, I was drinking wine and, you know, um, that I justified that. <laughs> right. So that's what we do, you know, when you're struggling yep. with it, you start to justify and rationalize and, you know, and so um, that's what I was doing. And um, 
So I actually wrote a letter to the university dean. I thought his name was Dean. Oh. So I was, <laughs> I was drunk. And I write this letter on yellow notebook piece of paper, you know, in pencil. Um, Dean, I, because I, I got kicked out of college, so I needed to get back in. So I said, Dean, um, I was addicted to drugs. I quit. Please let me back in, Tina. And Dean <laughs> let me back in under academic probation. And I'm telling you, it saved my life. Uh, so my education was a priority. And, um, but I soon realized what was your, what was your major Tina? What were you, what were you in college to study? So the first uh, four years I was majoring in interior design. Okay. And... It's fine. <laughs> I will just keep going. Cause it's not okay. that bad. It's Sorry just a little side that. noise. Okay. So, uh, so I had gone to a course, um, it was a child development course. And the professor, of course, was like, who are you? You know, this class was going on for six weeks and you've never, you never attended. And so I, I said, you know, well, um, I, I had some problems and I'm here now. She said, well, you're just in time. You get to do a classroom presentation. And I'm like, okay, what's the topic? And she's like, we're talking about child development, so you can pick a topic. And I was like, oh dear, you know, because at this point I didn't have a voice, you know, when I had gone through childhood abuse and trauma and rape and, you know, domestic violence, I, I never had a voice. I didn't share right. that with anyone. And so in this class, I was told to use my voice. And so I was a little confused and a little reluctant at first. So anyways, other students got up to do their presentations and they had presentations like how children learn how to say the ABCs, you know, and everybody starts clapping and, and another woman says, you know, how children learn how to tie their shoes and everybody starts clapping. Well, I get up there and I say, how children deal with the murder of their best friend. And everyone's like, mm. and by the time I got done speaking, the professor and the whole class, they're all crying and I was crying. So for me, that was a situation that I realized it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal for every seven-year-old to go through that type of traumatic experience. Wow. And, and then I realized I had that survivor guilt. And uh, the professor kept me after class and she said, honey, what's your major? And I said, interior design. She said, you need to work with children. Yeah, <laughs> and I, seriously. I said, I don't like children. <laughs> She's like, you need to start. <laughs> but I tell you, you know, this was uh, one person in the darkest part of my life that took time with me. She believed in me and she gave me hope. So I ran from her classroom. I ran from her classroom to the academic advisor's office and I changed my major to family wow. development. I so think she was right though, because if you figure that the average child doesn't go through what you went through, if, if you with that background can, you know, be, you know, help other kids. I think that's huge. I think, I think that's huge that that was her recommendation. Yeah, it was really special, and 
So we know that there is construction happening at your end, and we will carry on. Because your story, I think, you know, the other thing I think, I'm, you know, I'm saying that her, her pointing out that you could help children because of what you went through, it's one of those things I like to tell our listeners. If, if you are an addict or if you have a child that's an addict and they had a fairly normal upbringing, you know, it could have been a whole lot worse. I mean, I, I like to say, look at what Tina lived through and where she's at today. And we'll get to that point. So, you know, perspectives. Did you ever do harder drugs than marijuana other than what you're not sure about was in the pipe? Did you ever do cocaine or meth or anything? No, I actually, um, I did opium and I did a few other drugs that I'm not quite sure what they were, but I just know the effects were not typical, you know, of marijuana or opium. And, um, and I actually, I'm a super hyperactive person and I had friends in college that were like, don't ever do cocaine or meth because you'll have a heart attack. (laughs) They would keep me from crack and cocaine and meth because they were like, you are hyper already and your heart constantly goes like this. You'll actually have a heart attack. So I was like, okay. Good good advice from your friends, you know, I mean, seriously. It was, it was good Tina, would you say that your conversation with this teacher, would would that be what we would call your point of no return? Or did you continue to use and go downhill from there? Or did you go up from there? What would you say? Oh, actually, uh, so that was, I would say, a moment okay. of clarity uh, of my purpose. But I definitely went down okay. from there. So I continued to drink. And, um, I, you know... One of the things that they always say is that if you have to quit something, it's already out of control. And I remember um, trying to schedule the times that I would drink. Uh, So I would put on a calendar, big star on Wednesday night. Okay, I'm going to drink Wednesday night, but then uh, I'm not going to drink Thursday night. You know, I'll drink Saturday night, but I'm not going to drink. So I was trying to control my drinking. And I remember uh, Thursday night would come along and guess what? I'd start to drink and then I'd erase the star on Saturday. Okay, well, I'll, I'll drink Thursday night. I won't drink on Saturday. And then Saturday night would come around. And, and so that temptation was constantly there and I would give into it. Uh, so I tried the controlled drinking. I, I switched alcoholic drinks, you know, I went from beer to wine. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-314. 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononohai.org. That's N A R C O N O N O J A I.org. Or call 1 866 231 5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, 
a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. I thought, well, if it's wine, I can't get addicted to it. <laughs> well, that's, that's the biggest misconception there is. <laughs> I just drank more of it. And, yeah. uh, and I do remember there were signs that, you know, I drank a lot more alcohol than other females. I also drank, I hung out with a lot of men, a lot of males, because I drank like them. Uh, so those were some of the signs as well that kind of opened my eyes to, okay, I think my alcoholism is getting out of control. But also I had a lot of physical ailment, ailments. Um, I had, uh, they thought I had a tumor on my brainstem. I had a lot of problems with my intestines. Uh, I had irritable bowel syndrome and, you know, had to have a sigmoidoscopy and, you know, all these tests going on as a... And did they, did, did, were any of those physical problems, did they relate any of them to the alcohol consumption? Because I would think that that would definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had, a, I had an MRI of my brain in, because they thought I had this tumor on my brainstem and it ended up that there was peaks and valleys from the alcohol and the drugs. Uh. And I remember the neurologist saying like, this isn't right. You're 22 years old. Um, and your brain should not look like this, um, to have these peaks in these valleys. And so he, he explained to me that, you know, if I stop using alcohol and drugs, I may be able to, you know, uh, heal that, heal that brain. Uh, and so I was like, you know, I just remember having that in my head and thinking, okay, maybe that's what I need to do is, uh, to stop using um, so the last month I drank was January, 1998. And in that month, I did everything I said I would never do. I drove drunk. I went to a bar by myself. I drank by myself. I drank way too much um, and, and just did everything I said I would never, ever do. Uh, and so that was my point of, um, it was actually the last day I drank January the last day, the last day I drank was um, January 30th, 1998, and I had a party with my friend um, in college, and um, we had five kegs, we had all kinds of liquor, and it was 5.30 in the morning, we started drinking at 4.30 p.m., it's 5.30 a.m., all the kegs had gone dry, all the liquor was gone because we had this huge party, and I was still awake and functioning. And I remember yelling and screaming at my friend because he didn't save any alcohol for me. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes when I was screaming at him. And it was a look of fear and it was a look of concern. And it was a look of why are you still functioning? We just drank for 13 hours, 13 and a half hours, you know. And that scared me sober. And so I actually went to a support group meeting that day, that next day. Um, and 
Um, and that to me was that, that turning point, realizing I, I can't, I'm going to die. I'm going to drink myself to death. That's heavy duty, but it's, you know, it, uh, it's good in retrospect that you had that moment. So, so you're okay today. What, what your use of alcohol, how did it affect your family or did it affect your family? Absolutely. It affected every relationship I had, um, all of my addictions. Uh, I stole money. I did a lot of illegal activities, uh, which uh, it blows my mind. I have worked for the state government, city government, county government. It's amazing what recovery can actually, the gifts that we can have in recovery, because I should not, I should be in federal prison um, of all the illegal activity I had done. Um, but it destroyed a lot of relationships. Um, it, it has taken years to mend some relationships, but I got to share with you this one um, situation. So you don't realize how your manipulative um, behavior, your, um, your lack of trust um, and dishonesty and how your dishonesty can affect uh, your relationships. So here I, um, I had about 30 days sober. I had asked my sister to borrow uh, just a bottle of nail polish, just a regular bottle of nail polish. What? It's like a dollar at the Dollar Tree, right? And so um, I, I said, "Can I borrow this nail polish? I really want to paint my, you know, my nails." And and she sat there and she's like, mm. "Uh," and I'm like, "It's just nail polish," but because she didn't trust me, and I'll never forget. I gave her back that nail polish the next day and she started to cry. Mm. And I thought, it's just nail polish. But it was a lot more than nail polish. It was that I was transforming into a person that she could trust. Right. I was being honest. I, I, her sister was coming back. That's huge. And so it was, yeah, it was a special moment. Yep. And, and those are all the gifts of recovery is, you know, you get to be honest, you get to be loving, you know, you get to be trustworthy again, and people start to respect you again. And it's just amazing. Now I, I'm best friends with my dad, my mom, my sister, I have incredible relationships, and it's all due to recovery. Wow. That's awesome. How did you get into what's happening or what just happened, I guess, a few days ago, because as we know, when this actually is published, it will have happened a couple of days ago. Tell us about that whole project and how that got started. And So I was 23 years old when I got sober in, um, in college, and I realized quickly going to support meetings that there wasn't much for young people. Even though I was 23 years old, I was very young um, back in the you know, late 90s. I would go to these recovery meetings and I would look around the room and nobody really looked like me. And I thought, man, it would be really cool to have young people's meetings. And so I started a couple young people support group meetings up in Ohio. And, and then I um, started to realize that when I was going to high school and when I was going to college, you know, I struggled with learning disabilities. I struggled with uh, anxiety and ADHD and, you know, I, str I struggle with all these, you know, labels 
and um, it, it, there wasn't the help that I needed. Uh, I needed help for learning disabilities. I needed help for anxiety and the trauma I had gone through. And, and so about five years ago, I started to research, you know, help for young people that are addicted. And, and I came across recovery high schools. And uh, three years ago, I got a mentor. He started the first recovery high school here in Florida. His name's Dan. And so he's been walking me through that process uh, of starting a recovery high school. And so we started the first recovery high school in Tampa Bay. It's called Victory High School. And uh, it's in Newport Ritchie in Pasco County. And we're just super excited to offer you know, tuition-free uh, education, mental health services, and recovery support for ages 14 to 19 years old. And okay, and so you take kids who, um, I mean, they've maybe they've had addiction problems and they're already like in recovery, but now they need to finish their education. Is that kind of the idea? And and you also offer an environment that understands what they've gone through. Yeah, so the only requirement for our students is a willingness to seek recovery. And, uh, and that could be that they have one day sober. Uh, that could be that they have 30 days. I am so sorry. Gosh. <laughs> oh, it wasn't this bad earlier. I don't know what they're doing. But um, uh, so it's just, you know, the students that are seeking recovery, that need the help, that are serious about, you know, this is life or death. We have too many young people that are overdosing and dying, especially in Pasco County. Uh, since January, there's 16 young people from January to July. And when I say young people, I'm talking ages 10 to 17. 16 had overdosed on opioids. Two of them died. So we lost two. So it's just heartbreaking, you know, and, and it's life or death. And we realize that our goal at Victory High School is to save lives. First and foremost, we want to save lives. And if they don't come to our school, they're more than likely not going to be able to live on the streets or at other schools. Most of the time, they're not going to their traditional school. So we right. want to give them that opportunity to live. Right. Is, um, is any sort of drug education part of your curriculum at the high school? <laughs> they actually teach us. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> They've been there, done that, and they, they actually, okay. They keep us apprised. They keep us up abreast about everything, you know. Yeah, makes total sense. Not there's not so much prevention needed because you're already trying to close the barn door after the cows have at least wandered out into the yard. Maybe not left completely, but at least wandered out into the yard. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I, I joke about that, but you know, it's also really important for us to know what kind of paraphernalia is out there, but also know the street names. You know, I'll never forget, I was at a drug treatment center and I introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm Tina and I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. And they all busted out laughing. And I said, well, what's so funny? And they said, Tina is a street name for crystal meth. And I oh boy. Oh boy. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> My mom did. Wow. Yeah. So they educate us. Wow. Okay. So 
so this podcast goes up on January 7th, and you will have opened a few days ago, had your grand opening. Um, how many students are you prepared to take at this new school? So the maximum amount of students we will serve is actually only 50 because we want to keep it, a, a, you know, a ratio of more staff and uh So between staff and, and students, we want to keep that ratio pretty low um, because we, yeah, we want to give a lot of individualized attention to our uh, young people. Right. And if someone wants to find out about your school, um, how they could get their child into your school, or maybe they know somebody, how, how can they do that? How can they find you? They can go to our website, www.floridarecoveryschoolsoftampabay.com. And do you spell out the whole thing? Florida Recovery Schools of Tampa Bay. Okay, so Florida Recovery Schools of Tampa Bay dot com. And I'm assuming there's phone numbers and contact us and all of that on there. Yeah, so our phone number is 813-444-7766. Okay, 813-444-7766. Did I do that right? Okay. Correct. Perfect. Tina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I know it's been a little bit of a tricky thing with the construction happening, you know, across the way, but I think that you have, you have an important story. I mean, like I say, there, kids from all walks of life end up being addicts, but they don't necessarily have the childhood trauma that you had. And I think that your story will resonate with people and, how can I put this without sounding crass? But I just mean, if she can recover after what she went through, hey, you can recover because your childhood wasn't that bad, if that makes sense. So um, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. And January 31st, I'll be celebrating 23 years sober. Awesome. And very, very, very well done for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening and watching our podcast episode today. Um, I think that what Tina is doing with the Recovery High School is huge. You know, we've talked before to addicts who say that a lot of uh, life skills are lost when someone at a very young age becomes addicted. So um, one thing that we didn't mention on the podcast is that the students who go to the recovery high school and this particular one is in Tampa, but I believe there are ones throughout the country. So if you can't locate one, you can reach back to us. And if we have information, we'll definitely share it with you. But the students who go there do get a GED. And so often when a young person becomes addicted, they don't complete high school. And as we all know, completing high school is somewhat of a milestone that depending on what you want to go forth and do in life, you need that. So they do do that at Recovery High School. And they just had their grand opening a few days ago in Tampa. And they are dedicated to helping young people. So once again, if you or a loved one needs help, please reach out today. If you don't know where else to reach out, you can always reach back to us. We're not recovery experts, but we definitely can point you in the right direction. But the point is, don't wait. It's a new year. Make this the year that you or your loved one becomes clean and sober. It's important to us. It's what we want for you and for your loved ones. We'll talk to you again next week. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.